Welcome to the Food Foundation podcast, the award-winning voice of the charity which campaigns for better access to healthy food for everyone in the UK. I'm Leila Kazim, co-presenter of BBC Radio 4's The Food Programme. And this week, we're looking at the Food Foundation's State of the Nation's Food Industry Report, or SOFI, on the retailers and out-of-home businesses leading the way towards a healthier and more sustainable diet. That youth are going to really pressurise food businesses to make sure that what they're producing is as healthy as possible, and also how they're producing it, where they're getting it from. The 2023 Sophie Report asks what responsible businesses should be doing to help fix our broken food system. Never before has what we eat been so important. A quarter of people in the UK are now living with obesity and 38% are overweight. Diet-related diseases are on the increase and the impact of obesity on the NHS, social care and the loss of productivity in the workplace last year was an estimated £65 billion. Chloe McKean is the Business Engagement Manager at the Food Foundation and explains why it's so important to work with the food industry to make healthier options more available. We're working with food businesses, um, mostly the retailers and the what we call out-of-home sector. So they are contract caterers, uh, quick service restaurants and casual, casual dining restaurants. And these two sectors are really important because they are the gatekeepers to our diet. They're the ones that work with the kind of intersection between the more upstream business within the, the food industry and help to then decide what is then put on the plates or put in the stores for us as consumers. So they very much are the ones that determine and shape our food environments. But it's not just health. The increasing frequency and scale of extreme weather events in recent years has been a stark reminder that our climate is changing at a faster rate than scientists have previously predicted. Ice sheets in the West Antarctic are now melting irreversibly. And the hottest month in 120,000 years this summer forced an increasingly despairing UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, to declare the arrival of the era of global boiling. The food system accounts for 42% of greenhouse gas emissions and a large proportion of that comes from livestock farming. Um, now, within the UK, we've got a real love for factory farm chicken and we really need to eat less of it. I mean, the role the businesses can play with helping us to reduce the amount of chicken that we're eating is to, to create price parity between chicken and the plant-based alternatives to chicken. Stephanie Sargent is one of the 30 youth leaders of Act for Food, the campaign that mobilises the power of young people to call for a global food system which provides everyone with access to safe, affordable and nutritious diets. Working with the Food Foundation, it joins the dots between diet, protecting nature, tackling climate change and promoting human rights. The way that we live our lives is all very intertwined. So, of course, the diets that we have, the things that we consume um, can affect the, the world that we live in. And obviously, like you said, climate change. Um, so just kind of probably the most obvious example um, that's given quite a lot is that the uh, meat that we eat 
um, obviously, you know, can come from different sources, cows, um, which also produce methane. And I'm sure a lot of people have seen, you know, the little cartoons of cows kind of farting away. Um, but it's actually a lot more than that. The entire kind of process of, you know, consuming meat and even other kind of food products um, can impact the climate in so many different ways other than just methane, of course, which contributes to global warming. Um you know, we can also impact like the water sources that are around us, the rivers and um, other water sources that come into contact with, you know, the agricultural runoff with, from fertilizers and so on. Um, and just, you know, even transportation, when we move our food from one place to another, and that's not just obviously cars, but also, you know, when we import um, strawberries or any other kind of vegetables or quite literally anything, um, which the world, you know, does a lot of, literally every country um, importing lots of different things from around the world. Stephanie explains why it's so important to think about the carbon footprint of cheaper industrialised meat, even if options that are healthier for us and the planet may sometimes seem out of reach. People are really forced into trying to find the most cheapest alternatives, particularly because those alternatives to meat are not affordable for the average person. When you've got kids or if you're a student, even if you are just, you know, a single person living by yourself, like it can be so expensive. So, yeah, the meats that are produced in these factories, for example, chicken, um, even starting with the conditions that they are kept in. Um, and of course, you know, they're given certain foods. We are not sure what they're fed to make them like fatter. We're not always sure where our food comes from. And I think that's one of the biggest issues, particularly at least in the West for me. So I live, I've lived both in the UK, in the Netherlands and in Kenya. And I think it can be very context specific. So for example, living in Kenya, I usually know where my food is coming from. It's from the chickens that are in the garden. It's from the goats that are kept, you know, in the fields or the cows. Whereas, yeah, sometimes in the UK, it, you can feel a very big disconnect from that factory to what we're eating. The food industry is on the front line of change. With a quarter of adults and a fifth of children eating out of home every week, we need to see healthier food on the high street. Linus Pardo is the UK policy manager for the Good Food Institute, which works with businesses and retailers to introduce the kinds of foods that we need to be eating. We are an organisation working to advance alternative proteins. And by that, what we mean is plant-based foods, cultivated meats, and then fermentation-made foods as well. Um, so that can be everything that spans from sort of tofu all the way through to corn, microprotein-style products, as well as um, fermentation-made ingredients like animal-free dairy proteins as well. And we really work with everyone um, who, who has a stake in this question about protein diversification. How do we create a more sustainable protein supply? Apply. Um, and we do that by bringing everyone to the table. So, food producers, scientists, policymakers, regulators, everyone who wants to try and make this transformation in, in how we get protein to our plates in a more sustainable way. Multiple studies have revealed that plant based or plant rich diets can be healthier than diets based heavily around animal foods. Plant-rich diets are higher in fibre, lower in saturated fats and calories, and have zero cholesterol. Plant-based meat alternatives tend to have a much lower carbon footprint than animal foods do. And some alternatives can cut emissions by up to 90% 
using up to 99% less land and water than conventional meat. Actions critical for planetary health. One of the challenges, Linus says, is making something tasty enough and affordable enough for people to choose alternative proteins over the traditional options. If we kind of zoom out for a moment and think about something like electric vehicles, or we think about something like renewable energy, if those uh, are too expensive, then it's really hard to get consumers to buy into them. And we've certainly seen that in other aspects of the climate transition already. So if we look at plant-based foods, if the products are too expensive um, and, and don't taste good enough, then we're going to really limit which consumers we can actually reach. And so rather than asking consumers to make a significant kind of dietary shift and ultimately pay more money than they're, they're willing or and importantly able to pay, um, we need to get to a point where there's parity between uh, plant-based meat and with conventional animal-based meat as well. But the Sophie report found that plant-based chicken alternatives are on average 27% more expensive than a factory farm chicken breast. Linus says it's vital to work with retailers to make healthier options more available, and that means more affordable. We know that price is a hugely important motivator of consumer behaviour when it comes to food choice. And in fact, if we look at a couple of really recent surveys, one from Ipsos, another from the European Union Smart Protein Project, where they were looking at consumers, including in the UK, it's price and then taste, which are the key barriers to eating more plant-based meat and dairy products. Um, so we've got to overcome that. And actually, when we've looked at the price premium, we've analysed some data from Nielsen IQ, looking at uh, plant-based meat in particular. And we found on average there's a 35% price premium. But depending on which products you look at, that can get much closer to 50% as well. So this is really significant. And then during a time of when we're, people are really looking at, at how much money they can put behind their, their food shop, it's not going to be the case that people can really afford to go and, and, uh, and choose the plant-based option. So we've got to find a way to change that. And supermarkets are a really, really important vehicle for doing so. Ryan Holmes is the Culinary Director of Business and Industry at Compass Group, which looks after the catering in a vast range of work and public spaces from schools and hospitals to work canteens. He says that diet is essential in keeping the workforce healthy. We can go from um, a, a white collar environment, so people in head offices, uh, where we might have a lot of uh, younger demographic who uh, are probably more used to a flexitarian diet and, and used to more trends. And then we can go onto the industry side where we can have people in a, in a manufacturing site who um, have really tough jobs, you know, very... Um, manual you know they're, they're walking a lot every single day they need to have lots of calories so we've got both ends of the scale um, and certainly um, we have to to influence those a little bit more um, the trends aren't quite there so we're having to to nudge them that little bit harder and what we want to give is our clients you know our clients want to have a healthy and more nutritious workforce because that's more uh, productive for them the conversation about the role that food businesses like his have in creating a healthier national diet is one he has regularly yeah this is something that we we do daily um it's part of our dna um it's part of lots of our clients dna so we're very well versed in uh, in, in this department that's for sure and it's certainly something that, that i'm very passionate about and have been for uh, a number of years 
uh, our clients are in uh, workplace, so business and industry sites. So the advantage we have is we're catering for them quite often, you know, five to seven days a week. So we get them into our sites every single day. So we're able to actively make uh, change, not only what they eat in the workplace, but how we can influence their decisions at home as well. Introducing healthier ingredients into well-loved classics is an easy way to make real and lasting change to the British workers' diet. As a nation, we don't like being told what to do. Um, so we try and do it in that kind of nudging, that health by stealth technique. So, uh, for example, um, we do lots of 50-50 products. So we have a really nice kind of 50-50 pork patty. So for breakfast, when they come in, uh, we can give them some really nice handheld uh, breakfast items, uh, trying to move them away from kind of having bacon um, um, every single day. So we have this kind of pork uh, and bean patty so lots of beans in there lentils uh, peas uh, to give it really nice flavor so that's an example of kind of you know breakfast that we're, we're trying to nudge them at lunchtime the same you know we try and pack in um different beans into different uh dishes we we, we reduce the meats um by 50 percent and then putting on 50 percent that the beans and lentils more vegetables in there try and switch to more whole grains into dishes so we're giving them a really nice balanced meal uh, the most important thing is we're not compromising on flavour. Um, that's not what we're trying to do. We'll never try and, and do that. We want it to taste even better. So it always has to have the, you know, the quality in there. It always has to have a nutritional value. Um, and and it, for us, it can't impact on the sales. Compass already collects its data from feedback and surveys. It gives an interesting snapshot of where the British workforce is right now in terms of diet. The population of plant-based fully plant-based eaters certainly in the uk is very low but actually the the, the percentage of flexitarians is really high so we're aiming um, our, our dishes at flexitarians um, and the key to that is by not labeling them so we, we don't label things healthy we don't label things vegan we don't label things plant-based what we want to do is make it really inclusive to everybody and i think that is something that's really really important when we look at a dish and we just see that as a, as a normal dish uh, that, you know, just so happens to have no meat in it. It just so happens to be healthy. It does really make it available uh, to everybody. Data collection can provide a real value to food businesses and not just to the bottom line. We certainly um, look at lots of data. We've worked a lot with Oxford University over the past two years. So the data of what we do is incredibly important. And we've been able to reduce our carbon emissions by by doing this um, across the business. So it's something we will continue to do. And it's something we have to do because, you know, we have to reach net zero by 2030. So it's only going to get bigger as we move on in the years. Increased transparency around the types of food that businesses sell with targets for boosting sales of healthy and sustainable foods will be a critical step in expanding the availability of healthier foods. Over the past few years, food businesses have increasingly made commitments to support the transition to healthy and sustainable diets. But whilst this is welcome, the pace at which the commitments are being made across the food and retail and service sectors is just too slow. And there's a lack of consistency and transparency in the sales data. That means it's not always possible to track progress accurately or to hold businesses to account. Chloe McKean from the Food Foundation. 
There's three key metrics that businesses need to be reporting on if if we're going to be shifting the dial on both uh, the healthy and the sustainable diet agenda. Businesses need to be reporting on the percentage of sales of fruit and vegetables, the percentage of sales of foods high high in fat, salt and sugar, and the percentage of sales split between plant-based and animal proteins. And it's this third metric which is um, most specific to, to what we're talking about today in terms of the cost of sustainable alternatives. Of the 11 retailers and 16 out-of-home businesses assessed for the SOFI report, just one feeds back publicly on all three key metrics. Linus Pardo says supermarkets may be slow to shift the dial towards alternative proteins, but compulsory reporting could help to realise a massive opportunity for them. Well, most of them have ambitions to significantly increase their plant-based ranges. So Tesco, for instance, has has uh, kind of long sort of waved the flag for the fact that they want to have a 300% increase uh, in their sales of plant-based products. Now, that's starting from a very, very low base. We've got to remember in all of this conversation about plant-based meat and dairy that these are actually quite new products uh, in front of consumers. So we're starting from a low consumer base. But there is real ambition, but at the same time, we aren't always getting a ton of information back from the supermarkets about how the sales of plant-based meat and dairy are stacking up against conventional uh, plant-based meat and dairy. So I know this is something that the report uh, has dug into in particular, and only Sainsbury's are currently reporting across healthy foods, uh, fruit and veg, as a proportion of uh, of total protein sales. Um, That's really quite important, actually, because... We need that transparency. What proportion of total um, protein sales comes from plant-based foods rather than animal-based foods is crucial for understanding more about um, health and diet as as a nation and understanding in particular the climate implications as well. If we don't know the direction of travel um, and how quickly we're moving towards a plant-based future, then we don't know what kind of interventions we need on behalf of policymakers and on behalf of government to actually get there. Um, and that's that's crucial. The data behind meat consumption can often be a little bit choppy to understand because we rely a lot of the time on self-reported survey data. So I think this is a real opportunity. It's a shame at the moment that this isn't mandatory reporting, but I think that's something that could change in the future. There are stark differences in the progress made by different types of food businesses. Voluntary reporting on sales is much more common amongst food retailers than it is amongst businesses in the out-of-home sector. In 2022, following a recommendation made in the independent National Food Strategy, the government committed to establishing a food data transparency partnership. This would allow businesses, investors and other stakeholders to design a mandatory business reporting process together and establish a consistent set of health, environmental and animal welfare metrics to support greater business transparency. The thing about the investment community is that it's all about assessing risks and opportunities and we can see big opportunities here in that healthy portfolio space. Eta McMahon is partner and co-owner of Castlefield Investments, which specialises in sustainable investing. The reason why 
people and charities come to us is because they want to invest in line with their values. And those values extend out into the food industry. And they're looking to use their capital in a way that can be leveraged and used as a voice for change. They know that when they invest with sustainable investors like ourselves, that we're going to go and talk to companies and say, look, what are you doing to shift your um, portfolios onto a more healthy, low carbon footing? You know, we're there to kind of raise awareness with companies and investor relations teams about climate change around systemic food insecurity. And we want to get answers out of those companies. But more than just getting answers, we want those companies to take action. And just this week, the regulator for the investment industry has announced a labelling scheme for sustainable funds. So just like we've got a traffic light system um, in the food industry and we've got fair trade and red tractor and all those sorts of labels and verifications, the same thing is coming in for the sustainable investment industry. And it's a really good thing. But what it will do is that it will um, put lots of pressure on investors to demonstrate why they are investing in certain companies and why those companies are sustainable. And we can't do that unless we've got the data and the metrics to back that up. And to have comparable metrics is going to become even more important because we can. it will enable us to say, we're selecting this company because they fare best in their peer group. Also, we want to see multi-year data so that we can see direction of travel. So we can say, look, this company might not be sustainable now, but we can see that there's a clear pathway backed up by data um, that they're going to get there in the future. So there are some of the reasons why investors, particularly the sustainable investment community, is really interested in metrics and measures. We're really just at the start of seeing companies be far more accountable for the social and environmental impacts that they have on uh, on the world. Um, so companies really do need to sort of to step up and, and take action, really. Investors aren't going to wait for this data. If companies don't provide it, we will use third-party analysis that will provide us with really good estimated data. And what companies that don't report will do in that instance is that they will lose the opportunity to control the narrative and to control the commentary and to give the context for why their data is not as good this year or or what have you. So my advice to food companies is to recognise what's coming, be proactive, get on board, because if you don't speak up, Others will speak for you and investors will be making inaccurate assumptions about your business potentially. But maybe it's the influence of younger millennials and Gen Z that can really shake up the world of business. 25-year-old Stephanie Sargent from Act for Food explains how powerful an Instagram moment can be in changing consumption choices. Okay, I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo is quite my age, but you know he had removed... Um, a bottle of Coca-Cola from one of his interviews and that completely changed how many people are actually buying from them. And that's not to say you're not going to have a Coke or something, you know, every once in a while. But I definitely think even with social media, you know, people are a lot more aware of what they should be consuming. Um, there's a lot more information out there on healthier alternatives and how to take care of your body. So I definitely can see that youth are going to really pressurize food businesses to make sure that the what they're producing, you know, is as healthy as possible. And also just like we said before, you know, how they're producing it, where they're getting it from, 
Um, even chocolate, I know, for example, living in the Netherlands, um, you know, we would consume chocolate that didn't have palm oil in it. Um, one of the probably the most famous ones is Tony's chocolate. Um, so even there, that's a very big example. And, you know, when you were giving gifts, that's the chocolate we would use, not other chocolates. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely see that that's how uh, the youth will be pushing food businesses. But what does Linus think the out-of-home sector in the UK might look like in five years' time? Well, we love getting our crystal ball out um, here at GFI. Um, and I think it's really, really important to say that the plant-based sector is having a little bit of a tough time at the moment. But I think there's every sense that it is going to bounce back. And this will be a real wake-up call for bringing newer, better quality and more affordable products to market. Um I think one area in particular where we might see quite a lot of change are in sort of convenience foods. So if you think about something like the the to-go section of a supermarket, actually... This where where prepackaged and often processed meat is often consumed. I mean, fifty percent of all meat that we eat in the UK is sort of prepackaged um, or, or, or processed. Um, that's an opportunity to to massively change kind of what people are eating by making those simple switches. So rather than you going and having a, a chicken salad or a BLT where you're not really thinking too much about that decision. Often it's, it's sort of a, a filling a hole kind of a meal. That's really a great opportunity there for plant-based meat to come in where you're not asking the products to to do a huge amount in terms of taste and flavour where it's really difficult. Whereas if you're all kind of sat around on a Sunday afternoon for a lovely family roast or something, it's really hard at that point to try to replicate the products because the technology just at this point in time isn't quite there. Um, so I think it's more in that sort of slightly more processed end of the spectrum that plant-based meat can make a real shift. And that can be a fantastic gain for public health. I think it can be a really important gain uh, for uh, for the UK's mission to get to net zero as well. We know that plant-based meat can have up to 98% fewer climate emissions uh, than conventional meat as well. So this is a a big chance, a big opportunity. um, And I think that the supermarkets will play a kind of important role in in getting consumers um, to be able to to buy those products in a way that's affordable and doesn't ask them to make a massive dietary shift. Thanks for listening. For more information and to read the full Sophie report, click on the link in the show notes. And as we head towards the next general election, the Food Foundation is calling on policymakers to recognise the importance of the food system in shaping the nation's health and wealth. The Food Foundation has launched a manifesto for the next government and we'd love you to take a look. Just click on the link in the show notes and do make sure you subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date with the latest analysis on what makes healthy food matter.